In this day and age, we know everything about athletes. Twitter, investigative reporters, TMZ, it does not stop. But my question to you is, is that a good thing? Because the more we learn about professional athletes like Richie Incognito and who they really are, the more disappointed we're going to be. Welcome to the Yes Men. This week, I am without my usual co-host, Lou DiPietro, and to my right is Chris Sheeran. Chris is uh, a, a employee of the Yes Network, just like Lou and I, and Chris does a lot of things. Brooklyn Connect, Yankees batting practice today, the sports sprint on Francesa, and we're happy to have him on the show. Chris, welcome. Doug, thank you for having me a part of the program. I appreciate it. So we have a lot to talk about today. I opened the show just because we haven't addressed the incognito issue on this podcast yet. And it's something that, to be honest with you, is getting a little old. I think most people are kind of ready for the story to kind of blow over somehow. But it really is an important story considering the fact that some of the biggest news programs in the country are picking it up. And and, and it's sad because sport, real sports fans want there to be better stories in the news, but this one is. So what do we do to kind of figure this out? What, what is going to happen that's going to put the story to bed? Because I don't know if there is anything. Well, first and foremost, Martin's got to meet with Ted Wells, the independent investigator uh, with the NFL. That's on Friday. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross had to reschedule his uh, impromptu meeting with um, Martin on Wednesday. The NFL does not want the Dolphins owner getting to Martin, I guess, before the NFL investigator talks to him. But that's when this thing is going to come to a head, when this guy finally talks. He hasn't said a word. He's been talking through his lawyer since this started. And, you know, I I don't know. I'm old school. I played... A year of high school football, I was 5'2", 100 and nothing, and got tossed around like a rag doll. Was I bullied? Yeah. Did it make me want to stop playing football? Well, I think my body did that. But for the most part, yeah, I just didn't want to be in that atmosphere anymore. But did I go run to my parents and, and tell them that I was being bullied? No. Did I go to the principal and tell them that I was being bullied? I didn't. That is the – whether you like it or not, now the NFL wants to change the culture in the locker rooms. Listen, I know incognito what he – the voicemail and he used used the word that you can't use. I'm not even going to say the letter. You could fill in the blank there. But – you know, this this could have been dealt with very easily by Jonathan Martin. And I've heard former players say this before, too. I, I've seen it on ESPN. They've had roundtable discussions. All of their former players that are now analysts said all Jonathan Martin had to do was if this was really bothering him. And now it's coming out that there's more than one teammate. It's not just incognito. Incognito's in the spotlight because he used that word. Plain and simple. And it was in a voicemail that was apparently passed around in the locker room and laughed at, according to Brian Hartline, a Dolphins wide receiver. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. It's hearsay. Take it as what it is. All Jonathan Martin had to do, if this was really getting under his chin strap, was pick Incognito up by the throat and punch him directly in the nose. That's how you handle bullies. And I'll give you an example. When my older brother was in second grade, and I know this this is not the same, but he was in second grade and a kid was bullying him. Now, my, my older brother was a bigger kid. That's why I basically didn't have any problems with bullies through high school because 
they knew my brother. But he was bigger than all the other kids in his second grade class, and that's why he was getting made fun of. He was a little chunkier. He grew into his body, 6'3", about 270, and he'll squash you like an ant, and he always could do that. But back then, my father went to the principal because my brother came home and told my dad what was going on, and my brother knew he could hurt this kid. And my father went to the principal and said, you know, this is going on. And the principal looked at him and said, hey, I can't do anything. And my father looked directly at the principal and said, well, if you're not going to do anything about it, he's going to do something about it. Well, if he does something, I'll have to suspend him. And my dad said, suspend him, and he left. On the playground that week, this kid who will remain nameless, I know his name, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> he's go, probably an avid <laughs> Goes out on the playground, proceeds to pick up my brother. My brother hit him so hard, he broke his own wrist. Guess who never picked on my brother anymore? That kid. Guess who never said anything cross to my brother ever again? No one. This is what you have to stick up for yourself. You, at Sooner or later, if it comes to a breaking point, you have to take a stand. But this is, Doug, and you could, you could disagree with me if you want. Martin is 24 years old. And the culture that we're bringing our kids up in now and for the past 20 years has been everybody wins, nobody loses, everybody gets a medal, everybody gets a trophy. What are we doing as a society? What are, we're teaching kids to be losers. If you come in ninth place, guess what, kid? You don't get anything. Yeah, You I mean, lost. Here's the, here's the thing. That w- that's a very old school approach. To a well, league, I am old school. Right, to, a, to a league that is trying to be new school. So right. to a league and, – and, and think about it. It's, this, it's sports as a whole. I mean hockey is for sure to ban fighting in the next 10 years. And the NFL is banning all sorts of hits. So it's almost as if it's not just middle schools and high schools that are making these moves to kind of – you know, wussify the country. It's the wussification of America, but kind of like it's not, it, it's, it's spreading everywhere. I expect this in middle school. I expect it in high school. Right. But, you know, I could have that old school attitude and I get like making a rookie sing a song in front of everybody and I get a certain, to a certain extent that you get hazed because you're a rookie. That's all well and good. But when it comes to a point where it's like a two year constant in his face, he needed to take some action himself but at the same time and i'm not flip-flopping here i'm not waffling but at the same time i look at an nfl locker room as a professional work environment like it is here yes like it is anywhere pick a network pick a company anything no one should have to deal with what jonathan martin was going through in that dolphin locker room he wasn't a rookie this is his second year so I don't know really why it was going on, but listen to Lydon Murtha. He's a former Dolphins offensive lineman who was cut in 2012 after he got hurt, tore some ligaments and, and hurt his back, so the Dolphins cut him. But he was there, and he said that no one in that locker room was closer to Jonathan Martin and Richie Incognito. He said he didn't have a dog. It was an article on NBCSports.com. He didn't have a dog in the fight. He wasn't taking sides. He was just reporting on what he saw in that locker room. And I... I got to tell you, I, I, I just and, – and he, and he said the thing that the Dolphins' offensive line, their problem with Martin was since he came in as a rookie, he was very standoffish, would not look people in the eye, would not acknowledge people when they talked to him. And that was a little off-putting. Now, listen, this kid, 24 years old, both of his parents went to Harvard. 
He had a chance to go to Harvard. Nine of his relatives went to Harvard. He's not dumb. He went to Stanford, three years there, went into the NFL. What what does Harvard have to do with anything? Well, maybe he has a little bit more finesse, a little bit more culture. He didn't want to deal with that locker room hissy fit fight back and forth between, you know, overgrown boys, really. And this is – I think that this story – I've taken two – things out of this story to major concepts. The first one is that there's a reason that the the amount of people in NFL locker rooms is a minuscule percentage of our population. There's very few of us, us normal people that are in NFL locker rooms. And it sounds like Jonathan Martin was one of us, but happened to be one of them right. by trade. And so he wasn't, you know, he didn't have any idea what this was like. It, it, that's what it sounds like. He did not know what he was getting himself into. Maybe he just wasn't built for football. And when you're a big kid growing up and, you know, one of your friend's dads comes up to you and says, hey, kid, like, you're big enough to play football. You should come try out for the team. Suddenly you realize you're very, very good at it. And then the next thing you know, you're in the NFL. And this and this kid, Jonathan Martin, is clearly just not mentally built for the that's NFL the, while he's physically word. gifted. That's that, That's the key conundrum right there. He is physically gifted. He protected Andrew Luck's blind side at Stanford, and he helped that offense really put the Pac-10 with Luck at the quarterback position back on the map, really, uh, and with that Stanford Cardinal team. But Jeff Ireland, the GM of the Dolphins, told these guys to toughen Martin up. And I, I want to throw this at you. You know, it's not just the locker room where you get hazed. I, I'm talking about guys in the past, again, showing my age, I guess. But Lawrence Taylor... Uh, John Randall, Kevin Green, when you got these guys on the field, do you think they're exchanging recipes before the snap count is given? No. They're trying to get into these guys' heads, trying to get them something off kilter so they get off their game. That's what the Dolphins, and, and this is what Murtha said, It's a, that offensive lineman group is a family. It's a family structure. Now, it's a weird way to try to you know, get the family together. I understand that with all the stuff that's coming out on incognito. But if your family, if that tight knit bunch who has to be, you know, toe to toe with one another in a mission to protect the quarterback yearly basis, trying to stay away from injuries, we know you're physically capable to do it, but we got to find out if you're mentally capable too. And obviously, Jonathan Martin, in my opinion, was not. Yeah, and I I forgot totally that I had said I had two main points to this conversation. And the second one is I don't think no matter what way you look at this, Chris – that Richie Incognito is a good guy. I think it's undeniable. Oh, no, no, he no. is he, undeniably a very, very bad person. He's known. He's known to be uh, an awful human being on the football field. Yeah, everywhere you look is people saying bad things about the guy, and then suddenly you see his teammates saying, "Well, you know, he's he's lovely. You know, he's a, he's a great guy." No. He's not. It's so obvious. <laughs> Everywhere you look, dirtiest player voted dirtiest by the other player. players. Yeah. And and then the fact that he's he's assaulted women at golf courses. He's done all these terrible things. Well, things- now everything is coming out. And we don't know that whole story. All we, I heard, know, all I we know. heard is the bold face. He did something. Who knows what that was? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, you just People hear those certain things. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're wrong. And he could have done something unimaginable. I have two daughters. 
uh, and he wouldn't be around too much longer if he did it to my kid. No. Nope. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make anything less of that, but we live in this Twitter and, and instantaneous news culture that we see a tweet in 140 characters or less, and then everybody else makes up the rest of the story in their head. You know, we, we get 140 characters or less, and then that's what we base our judgment on. I heard something very, very smart, very intelligent. It was on ESPN. It was one of their roundtable discussions, and I forget which player who said it. I think it was Trevor Maddich, actually. Uh, he was in a roundtable discussion, and he said, you know, or it was Teddy Bruschi. It was one of those guys. They were going back and forth. And one of them said, this, this is going to be like an onion. And, and just the first layer of the onion was taken away when this stuff started to break. But you could see, and we haven't even heard Jonathan Martin speak yet. His lawyer has been doing his talking for him. And I don't think anything of this, this story, this onion, as it were, is going to be peeled back until Jonathan Martin sheds some light on his thoughts on this matter. I need to hear from Jonathan Martin. I need to hear specific stories. I need not just this voicemail that incognito. We established that he's a bad guy. We did. You brought it up. He's made some awful decisions, voted dirtiest player. You could say all you want about how he is off the field, how he's a great human being. But on the field, Richie Incognito is not a good guy. And another way that this story is like an onion, to be perfectly honest, is that sometimes and a lot of times in sports, especially recently, we've seen one thing lead to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. And what I think this story will end up doing is a lot – you said it earlier, and a lot I've heard a lot of people say it when they're covering the story in the media. People say, I understand, you know, making them sing songs, wear crazy outfits, yeah. you know, go to the goalpost. But soon, and I, I really feel strongly about this, I think everything is going to go clean off the board. I think you know what else hazing, is going to go off the board? I think hazing – I know. But I think everything hazing-related in, in professional sports, because this is technically, like you said, a work environment, will soon be illegal and punishable by suspension. Uh, you're absolutely right. Which is – I don't that, think either of us really likes that or agrees with that. But at uh, the same time, that's the way this uh, country works right now. You know what? We, we tend to uh, go towards the – minority in the discussion whatever the minority wants you know it could be two people who want and i'm just throwing this out there two people in a town who want a christmas tree taken down uh and i refuse to call it a holiday tree it's a christmas tree <laughs> uh, but two people who want a christmas tree taken down chris mahana kwanzaa and <laughs> yeah exactly and there's sixteen thousand people in the town those fifteen thousand nine hundred ninety eight people want the christmas tree up the two people want it down guess what the tree's coming down. Just like Halloween, kids – my daughter's in kindergarten. Kids couldn't wear their costumes to school because there are people that don't celebrate that in their religion. I was unaware that Halloween was a religious experience. I just <laughs> thought it was kids walking around and showing getting off candy. their costumes and yeah. getting candy. We, I just don't know what direction we're going in right now, but I know in my heart and in my gut it's the wrong direction. I think that no matter what you think is happening in this story, what Chris and I have basically summarized for you listeners is that this, this story comes at a time where it will end up being the perfect storm because it is a morality issue. It is a player being mean to another player in a league that is focused on brutality and hitting the other guy as hard as they, as hard as they can. But we ignore that for a second now, and we talk about how they yell at each other and they bully each other. 
listen, these people bully the, each other for a living on the field. So it's this, you know what? It's the perfect storm because suddenly we care so much about what these athletes are like off the field. And now we have an off the field issue that is just, and we're eating it up. Let, Our culture me, is eating this up. And this is another example of how we have things just backwards in this country. I think it was last year, uh, Jason Witten, the tight end for the Cowboys, uh, in a preseason game, was hit, and I forget the linebacker for the Raiders, but the linebacker for the Raiders hit Jason Witten. He lacerated his kidney. By hitting him after he caught a pass. Witten missed like three or four weeks, came back and started playing again, which was unbelievable to me. Just an unbelievably tough guy, Witten. You want him on your team. God, you wish you had Witten on your team. Romo's lucky he has him. But we basically ignore that. (laughs) The only other place that I've heard someone lacerating a kidney, the only other in a fight, like in a boxing or a car accident. Oh, or it's like a stabbing. Or a stabbing. <laughs> Those three things. But we're more concerned about Jonathan Martin getting bullied. He was getting bullied. But we're not even talking about a player getting a kidney lacerated on the field. It's really unbelievable. Don't you feel like sometimes with the NFL, and I know we both love the NFL, but sometimes as fans, that. you feel like, and this goes with the Jason Witten thing, they're just, it's like we're at the Roman Coliseum. Exactly. And he, he, he lacerates his kidney, and we're just like, yeah, he's out four weeks. I got him on my, on his fan, on my fantasy <laughs> team. I'll, I'll keep him, though. That's all we care about. They're just names. Right, right. See, and I, I, a lot of people, and I'll probably take flack for this, but I don't really care, but a lot of people get on Roger Goodell uh, for the concussion and how he's trying to change the culture that way with the hits, with the helmet. I applaud him. Um, I, I I want these guys to have a future. I'm seeing too many guys get out of football, and one of my one of my heroes growing up, Tony Dorsett. Uh, before I became a Giant fan, I was a Cowboy fan, and I've told this story before on my podcast when I had it. Uh, Drew Pearson went to my high school, played baseball with my father, uh, so I was a Cowboy fan when Drew was playing for the Cowboys. So Tony Dorsett was one of my heroes growing up, and now he's having issues. You know, it, it, what do these guys want? I know they want to make a lot of money, but don't you want to be cognizant after you get done playing football about everything, the world around you? Tony Dorsett is afraid to be around his daughter because he gets so angry. I mean, I sat there watching that interview and I was just like, my goodness, you know, this is the culture we live in. It's the guys... And even the women now watching these games at the bars that they, they want to see helmets fly off. They don't care about the human being, the individual inside the uniform. They just want to see blood. They want to see the helmet fly off. They, they want guys launching from the ground using the crown of their helmet to hit a receiver in the jaw, basically. Listen, there are some times, Doug, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here and I apologize. There are some times, and I agree with this, that defensive backs, safeties, they can't help but where they hit these guys because maybe a receiver ducks down or a running back ducks down. They're going so fast. Sometimes it's just inevitable that that's going to happen. But there are guys still out there, and they know who they are, and they get fined almost on a weekly basis. They use their helmet as a weapon. I'm telling you right now, go back to leather helmets. 
Seriously, go back to leather helmets. No one's going to lead with their head anymore. We care so much about the brutality of the sport. And that's why this story frustrates me personally, is that suddenly we're all, we all care about right. how they feel. Right. That is the, but that we've is, never oh cared about goodness. that before. That is such a tremendous point you bring up right there. It's the, the sport is so brutal and we're worried about somebody's feelings. In a and it's brutal in so many ways. You get cut By off a team, team with no, you get cut off a team with no guaranteed money. Suddenly these players. Players are broke. 75% of players in the NFL don't have money when they leave the league. And suddenly, all we care about is Jonathan Martin's feelings, when in reality, usually every Sunday, all we care about is the big hits. Yeah, the average career is like three point, what, two years? It's insane. There's such an underbelly to this league, and it's really important that if you really want to pay attention to the Jonathan Martin story, there are more things to pay attention to in the NFL. Uh, Moving on, Chris, uh, something we have in common. (laughs) <laughs> that is not our think, hatred of that story. I think I know where you're going. Is our that we bleed Broadway blue? Yes, we do. Uh, we're Rangers fans, and I, Lou, and I haven't really talked about this. Lou is also a Rangers fan, but Lou and I haven't really talked about Rangers hockey on the podcast before. But at the beginning of this year, I didn't really want to talk about the Rangers <laughs> with, their, with their yeah. West Coast swing. But they've kind of pulled it together, although they had a really bad loss last night. And I don't know if you, if you happen to watch the game. Well, let me ask you something. Okay. I'm ready. I put it. I put it in the sprint today. Was it me, or was it like it was May, and that was Game Five at the Garden between these two in like the Eastern Conference? Just the play, the the hustle, the hitting. It just felt like it was a postseason game. It was a great game. I, I don't know. Did you take that feel away? No. From yeah, me? it was a great game. It was a rivalry game. But sometimes, even in a regular season, you don't see the kind of energy that we saw last night. So I was really happy to see that. The Rangers are now 9-9. Nine and nine. They're at 500, which actually is an accomplishment considering how badly they played at the beginning of the year. And it's funny because um, you read less and you see less in the media about hockey because naturally it's not as big of a regular season sport as the NBA, the NFL, and baseball. you got about a month before the NBA starts. Right, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, even then, NBA it's preseason started, NBA yeah. basketball. Right. <laughs> so you don't read or see as much coverage. And if you listen to the post games and pregames, that's where you'll learn a lot of the info. So for the last like eight days or so, and eight, eight games or so, excuse me, I've realized that I think the two weakest players on the Rangers are Michael Delzato and Benoit Pouillon. And yesterday, I, I just I listened to uh, the coverage on MSG, and those are the two players, it seems, that are really crushing the Rangers right now. And, and one's a forward and one's a defenseman, and together it kind of makes the perfect storm. That's kind of the reason why the Rangers really aren't where they need to be right now because they still have weak links that I think they need to overcome. Yeah, I see that too. And, you know, you got to get into Elaine Vigneault's system a little bit more too. And they're also playing without Rick Nash. Uh, and they're doing this damage without Rick Nash. Right. He practiced today. He did with practice the team. and he is skating, which, you know what? Any news with him on skates is good news if you're a Rangers fan. Uh, you have Henrik Lundqvist between the pipes. You get Nash back. I do agree with you. Uh, I did hear Sam Rosen getting on Pouliot last night. Uh, he's one of the weak links on this team. You know what? But you got to weed them out, and it's only 18 games into the season, and they have plenty of time to right the ship and find the right pieces to get in there and get something done. Who knows? Maybe it's at Hartford. Uh, maybe they're up with the Rangers now. We just don't know it yet. I don't know. But I will sign for 9-9 nine and nine with this team right now, considering the start they got out to. Yeah, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. We, we were a little scared that they just weren't 
a good team. But I think what's really helped them is Chris Kreider. And if and if oh, anybody doesn't know Chris Kreider, who Chris Kreider is, he came out of Boston College and two years ago came right onto the roster for the Rangers. He in was the their playoffs. legs in, that, yeah. in the and series he, against the Cavs. He was been up and down, mostly down at the beginning of this year in Hartford, and people were kind of curious as to why they were calling other people up and not this phenom. And they've called him up, and he's been terrific for the Rangers. It's really been fun to watch. Yeah, Chris Kreider's been great. JT Miller, uh, they they had a goal. Not the game against, I, yeah, I, I remember not that against goal. the Devils, but they had a goal where Kreider turned it over and they weren't on the power play, but the puck movement and the precision on the puck movement and it set up Miller for a wide open net. It's been so long for a Ranger fan to see that, you know, on a power play, let alone even strength. And I just watched that with my mouth open like, where did that come from? I watched that play at the airport on my sling box and I, I had to you you know, had refrain to be... from audibly going like, you know, yeah. do, doing my goal. How could you not? My goal screen. <laughs> How could you not? That was awesome. Yeah. I, I just think these younger guys get a little bit more mileage in them uh, with the big club. I know Miller has been a little bit of a letdown at the beginning of this season too. I just think you got to give these guys a little bit of time, massage them. It's a new coach. You know, you get Tortorella out of here. And another thing I've been I've been witnessing, Doug, and I want to I, I I brought this to your attention uh, downstairs. I I just want to bring it up to you again now that we're doing this. But it just seems to me that Vigneault has this team. Uh, they just seem happier to me for some reason. I, I, I maybe it's me. I'm just watching the games on TV. I see the close-ups of the players. I see how they're together on goals. Not that they weren't together on goals, you know, when Tortorella was there, but. I don't know. It just seems like there's a different vibe going on with this team right now. I think when Torts was the coach, they were very excited and very happy when they succeeded. So if they won, they were like, we we got to impress Torts. Like, that was very important to them. But the reason that Torts, I think, is out of here now is there's two reasons. First, blocking shots. I think Lundqvist didn't like that, and I think the well, players like that, thought it wasn't had, worth it. You, that wasn't your... That wasn't your personnel right. on the ice. Uh, you get rid of Marion Gabrick. Uh, you know this Marion Gabrick would be thriving in this system right and, now. And second, I would say, is that the players were scared to make a mistake. Yeah, Torts was the kind of guy that said, dog "You make house. a mistake, you're in my doghouse." He's kind of like, a little bit like Tom Coughlin, but not as as widely successful as Tom Coughlin at doing that and saying, "Hey, you made a mistake." Ride the pine. Yeah, Marion Gabrick had two names attached to his name that his parents gave to him. Marion Gabrick, healthy scratch. <laughs> yeah, and then you know he That's scratched Richards in the playoffs. And I, Richards and, and Lundquist threatened not to come back to New York, and we've both talked about this. We right. think King Henrik has nowhere There's else to go, and he'll be back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll move on from hockey because you know there are other things to talk about. I, I just have a quick question. I want to catch you a little off guard here. Sure. Who are you more worried about right now? I was going to ask you the same question. (laughs) (laughs) The Nets or the Knicks? All right. Well, they're both two and four, and I'm telling you right now, I'm more worried about the Knicks. I am so much more worried about the Knicks. Yeah, I'm so much – because the Nets – now, listen. You bring in Pierce. You bring in Terry. You bring in Garnett. As long as these guys stay healthy, the Nets, over the course of the season, they're going to be – and. Let's not forget Darren Williams. Darren Williams has to stay on the court. They need their point guard. They need their floor general. 
you know, Jason Kidd, he's got his support staff with the coaching staff with Lawrence, Frank, Roy Rogers. They've been here before. They know, well, they were in New Jersey, not Brooklyn, obviously, but they know how things work with this organization. So Kidd is fine. You just have to keep these, the big three, uh, along with Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez. And that lineup, you look at that lineup that they run out there, the starting five with Lopez, Johnson, Williams, Garnett, and Pierce. That's a heck of a lineup to run out there. Now, the Knicks, on the other hand, they're both two and four. <laughs> but, you know, when the Knicks owner is coming out and guaranteeing a win against the Atlanta Hawks, <laughs> it's just so silly. Something is wrong with this equation. And the other thing, to be serious, you know, with Tyson Chandler hurt and out four to six weeks, Andrea Bargnani, he could shoot all the threes he wants. On the other side of the floor, Give him a Matador's cape because he stinks defensively. I saw him get jobbed repeatedly against the San Antonio Spurs. That's not going to change. There's no magic wand with Bargnani. He's not going to become a great defensive player. He is a shooter, plain and simple. So with Tyson Chandler, one of the key cogs of that Knicks defense on the shelf... They're in a heap of trouble. Yeah, the NBA regular season to me is a little bit like a video game. For the Nets, you can simulate the entire regular season on a video game, and they're going to end up being in the playoffs. Excellent point. Because they have a good enough roster to carry themselves to the playoffs. The Knicks, though, are in a position to have to peel, like, kind of put it all together. They don't have that roster that just screams playoffs to you. And that's the thing is the NBA regular season, while it is exciting at times, there's not much parity, so you know which teams are going to be one through five. With the Knicks, though, right now, especially without Tyson Chandler, it's really hard to imagine how they're going to stop teams defensively. And I totally agree with you about Bargnani. When they signed him, they looked at him as kind of like a, you know, maybe a Dirk Nowitzki type with an outside shot. But everyone knows this guy is not a five. Let's 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 say Tyson Chandler is our five. Bargnani's never going to play that position. Now. He's kind of been thrust into this situation, and it's really not pretty. I mean, it's really not pretty. There's a GIF on the web, and you guys should all look at it. Uh, and somebody – I think the title is it is like, does Andrea Bargnani – like, is he in his body right now? Because the point guard takes the ball to the hoop, and he's on defense, and Bargnani jumps, but he's nowhere near the point guard driving to the hoop. I think that was Tony Parker. Yeah, and it might have been. And it's just it, – it's a little ugly right now. So, yeah, I'm total. I'm much more worried – about the Knicks, and as as good as Carmelo Anthony is, when he's the only guy that you have to focus on, that's that's the Knicks' problem. You know, you look at Ray Felton, you look at Pablo Prigioni. Are they decent point guards? Yeah, they're decent point guards. They don't have that haymaker, you know, that's going to come around and knock somebody out at the point guard position. They just don't. I'm sorry, Ray Felton's a nice player, but. Uh, he's not Darren Williams. He's not CP3. You know, he's not <laughs> – he's just not one of the elite point guards in the NBA. And and Prigioni's a nice, you know, change of pace, get him out there, you know, second team, whatever. But the Knicks, you know, they got the Hawks. They got the Rockets. Uh, they got the Hawks again. And then the Pistons before they play the Pacers. So these next four games, they, they really got to get something done. Before they start, you know, taking on teams like the Pacers, they, they lost to the Bulls by a point. Uh, it was the second game of the season. They were in it. But, you know, Derrick Rose, I don't think he's 100% yet. And I don't think that Bulls team is 100% yet. But God almighty, this Pacers team, they are no joke right now. No joke. Paul and George is unbelievable. Y- you know what's just absolutely hysterical to me is, is New York. And it never ceases to amaze me that after a 2-4 and four start, we're six games into an 82-game season – 
people are already talking about Rajon Rondo and Kevin Love coming <laughs> to join Carmelo Anthony. And it's, you know, it's unbelievable. People like weeks ago, optimists in New York were saying. Well, that's the way things work. Here. We're saying, you know what, this team, I, I could see uh, callers on the radio. I could see uh, two or three seed for this team. Dumb and now people. people are saying, we're on Kevin Love and Rajon Rondo. And until then, our only goal is keeping Carmelo in New York. I grew up in New Jersey. I've rooted for New York teams my whole life. And I fall victim to this as well. Uh, I'm one of them. I used to be one of them. Uh, but uh, we all suffer from Janet Jackson disease. It's what, <laughs> what have you done for me lately? And, you know, it, 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 from baseball, it goes from pitch to pitch. From the NFL, it goes from down to down. Uh, from the NBA and hockey, it goes from possession to possession. I've sat with fans, complete strangers. I don't know them. Someone will score a goal on one shift. I'll just throw hockey out there as a description. And then get beaten badly and the other team scores on a two-on-one, they want to praise the guy when he scores, and then they want to cut him, <laughs> you know, ten minutes later. No, they don't just boo him. They want him out of the They want him, they out. Want him banished. Leave your uniform at the bench <laughs> and go back to the locker room. You're worthless. But then ten minutes later, he'll score another goal, and everything is fine again. Well, Chris, we're running out of time a little. I just want a quick few side notes out there for, for Yes Men listeners. The NFL Survivor League at Yes – and this has been a big part of our show for a long time, and Lou is not here to tell you this. Lou has been eliminated. He <laughs> fell for the trap game and picked. Let me guess, Tennessee. The Tennessee Titans. <laughs> and I was on this show last week, and I said, you know what? I am worried that this Tennessee game's a trap game. I don't think they're very good. What if somebody gets hurt? Well, Jake Locker got hurt. Tennessee lost. I picked the Giants. I am now one of four people of a start of 60 wow. at the Yes Network that are still in this league. And now you all have a chance to know who I picked, except not. I'm not telling anybody on this show anymore in case the other the other three people listen to this podcast <laughs> and are going to pick what I don't pick to beat me. I can't risk that. It's too risky. So I'm sorry. You can't know who I'm picking for next week. There are some good games. Can't make alliances in this Survivor. Right. No, you can't. I, I am I am now ruthless, okay? <laughs> I, I am out there for blood. I want to win this thing. Uh, Chris, it's mm-hmm. been a true pleasure. Oh, I, had, I had a blast. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. Um, I, I hope that someday soon this Richie Incognito story is somehow put to bed. I'm not sure how it's going to be. I guess you're right. Jonathan Martin has to speak. That's the only option here. And we've heard from Richie Incognito. I'm not sure how genuine we've heard heard. enough from Richie Incognito. Yeah, we just need – we've heard enough from from him on Twitter. We've heard enough from him on the interview with Jay Glazer. I think the time – the thing now is that we have to hear from Martin. Would you agree? Absolutely. That's that's the only way – that's the way things work in this country. You can't just snap to judgment after one side comes out. You have to wait for everything to come out, all the information to be gathered. But as I mentioned earlier in the show – This is the world we live in, and this is what people have to realize. Something gets out on Twitter, and everybody snaps to judgment immediately. You have to be patient. You have to wait for all sides to come out, and you have to wait for the story to develop. Unfortunately, we don't live in that era anymore. We live in a snap-to-judgment Twitter world, and Doug, I... I I weep for the future. (laughs) Well, on that note, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Lou will be back with me next week on the Yes Men. Until then, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you all for joining us.